0: Penn State football plays a good game against Michigan in a game they ultimately lose 21-17. I know that's not going to make a lot of people happy to hear that, but it was a very entertaining back and forth defensive battle where Penn State allowed one more explosive play at the end uh, to Michigan. They were able to punch it in 21-17. Penn State not able to get anything on their final drive. And really, to me, and I know that we're going to get into a lot of fourth down decisions, a lot of whether you should kick a field goal or not kick a field goal, my least favorite topics, but we will talk about them because I know that that is something that everyone's going to want to talk about. Uh, But really, to me, what this game turned on, because a lot of the mistakes and a lot of the things that happened back and forth throughout the game were pretty even Up until when Penn State scored the touchdown and got the two-point conversion, a lot of those mistakes had been erased. It was an even ball game at that point. They get the turnover, and they get three points out of it. To me, that was really the deciding point in the game, was if they were not able to get those seven points there, you saw what happened with Michigan coming back down the field and being able to get the touchdown. Four points separated these two teams. One of them, according to the college football playoff, is the sixth in the nation. So, a tough loss for Penn State at home but a loss that it was kind of all week this was a 50-50 game going into this game this is the BWI live post game show I'm your host Thomas Frank Carr be taking your questions we'll be getting uh, through some of the major deciding points in this game some of the things that happened that I think were the storylines as far as uh, what shaped Penn State and Michigan Uh, a lot of these things were pretty predictive coming into the week David Ajabo Aiden Hutchinson, everybody knew that they were going to have a an advantage coming into this game. Seven sacks in the first half, I believe. So a decided advantage. And then, uh, to me, two important players on offense that have been playing well all season long. It's Cade McNamara and Hassan Haskins. What the Michigan offense lacked without Blake Corum is the explosiveness. The explosive runner that can rip off those explosive plays and get big yards and touchdowns and things like that. Penn State, for the most part, was able to contain the the Michigan rushing attack because, really, it's okay. It's power, it's counter, it's predictable football. They're de- they don't care that you know what's about to happen. They don't care that it's football that's gone back 75 years. They're going to execute it, and they're going to out-execute you, which Penn State showed today, I think, from a defensive perspective, they're able to play at that level. The guys that made it work, Hassan Haskins at running back, being really strong and really tough to tackle, and then Cade McNamara making some clutch throws, some clutch decisions, playing within the framework of the offense and getting some good plays to work from. So that's a big part of what happened for Michigan, but still, this is an offense that went three and out four times in the game. It's not like this was an exceptionally talented group that was capable of putting up 35 points against a good Penn State defense. The Penn State offense hamstrung by bad decisions, bad uh, execution on some plays, and then some, some bad play calling. Uh, I want to address that fourth down at the end of the game. The way that situation worked out with kicking the field goal, giving up the touchdown, getting the ball back, you were not getting the ball back no matter what. Whether you gave them the field position or not, you were not getting the ball back. Going for it on fourth down, the field position doesn't matter. It's the number of possessions you have left in the game, and you had exactly one. Unless your defense pulled out some hero ball, which they were consistent on the ground, not losing yards on the day. That was another big thing for Michigan, is even though they got into some bad situations with their run game, where there were some bounces, there weren't a lot of lost yards, not a lot of tackles for loss. So Pence doesn't stop that third down. It did, they weren't going to do it whether it was on the twenty or the other twenty. The play call itself, to me, was the issue. Of Jahan Dotson is off the field, so that's a that's a huge problem. That is a problem for your offense where even if everybody knows you're going to Dotson, you should still go to Dotson in that situation. But Sean Clifford has consistently been poor at throwing the fade route. Now that was that was just there was a lot of hand fighting on that play. They, they didn't call any of that stuff all day long, so that's fine. They didn't call it, so they didn't call it all day. But throwing that low percentage pass on fourth down when the game is on the line, I was not a fan of that. And that's one of those situations where sometimes the defensive play caller can goad you into doing that, where there isn't a safety back there. You have one-on-one, but it's not so much that you're playing the defense at that point, you're playing roulette with the odds of catching that pass, which they hadn't caught it all day. They had not caught that pass all day. Same, a similar situation. And one of the biggest things this week to me coming into this game was because of the sped up play clock that you were going to be getting from the, uh, from the defense of Michigan. Your running backs have to be involved in the passing game. It was something that, that teams have done against Michigan in the past with some of the things that they've done defensively. It opens up some plays in the flat for the running back. I think the Penn State running backs had three or four drops today some really poor play in those situations. And it's something I asked John Lovett about early in the week about how important it was going to be. And, you know, I think he was a little caught off guard when we didn't ask about the running game first. But uh, it was a pro- poor performance by all the backs included, but uh, in that particular part of the game. Uh, if you want to, drop uh, your question in the chat. I uh, I have a couple of ones here already. Uh, I'll be getting to those. And again... Flying solo today. Tom Hannafin is on assignment. He's got a play-by-play job today. So I'm uh, doing double duty here. So if you just give me a moment to look at some of your questions, I'm sure a lot of them are going to be really reasonable about James Franklin. uh, So we'll address some of those things. But David here in uh, the chat, and this is, I, I love this because I knew this was going to happen. Clifford cannot be back next year. He just isn't great. Happy feet and sacks. Throw away, cannot throw a fade, kind of what we just talked about. Everyone wants or doesn't want Sean Clifford based on his performance that week coming back for his sixth year. So when people say, "Is he going to be back?" I don't know. Uh, this is the ceiling I think of Sean Clifford. Inaccurate passes, and that's so. This is a really muddy game from him for me. I have a hard time really giving a good evaluation of Sean Clifford because on the day, let me pull up his stats here. On the day, he was 23 of 43 for 205 yards, one touchdown, one super clutch drive. Fourth down after fourth down, they converted. That was really great stuff. But the middle part was not good. The middle part was holding on too long in the pocket with one of the best defensive lines in the country coming after you. Um... Then it was inaccurate throws to guys that are open that uh, it took four. It took seven points off the board because he threw an inaccurate pass to Tyler Warren that pulled him out of bounds instead of getting into the end zone. And then we don't even have to talk about the fourth down situation. It comes down to this to me in this game in particular is red zone execution. Cade McNamara is a decisive. Accurate quarterback that maybe doesn't have the best passing game around him, but he is maximum efficiency in it The only times he takes sacks are when he can't avoid it like when Arnold Ebikidi, uh Pulled him down by his arm to get the fumble to change the game And of course when he got the sack before then coming from his blind side Other than that he avoids negative plays really well now. He ended the day with negative seven yards on on sacks so uh, they were a- they were able to get to him today, which is one of the things that I was surprised by in this game was they were actually able to get to Cade McNamara, and that Michigan threw the ball 29 times on the day. I had I had I would have not believed that would have happened today. Uh, but again, Hassan Haskins 31 carries, 156 yards, no touchdown. Uh, Penn State did their best to hold him uh, in contain, but missed tackles were a problem. Once he got into the secondary, uh, there was one play in particular where again it's the it's the it's not necessarily the scheme that's making the play; it's the individual player. Because the Michigan offensive line, I think, is is okay. They're an okay unit. Um, where you have Ellis Brooks shooting in on a pulling play, he's trying to backdoor, run through a gap that was just vacated by an offensive lineman, and tackle Haskins in the backfield. He gets to him, and he bounces off of him. Those are the sort of situations that led to to long drives for Michigan and the ability to, once they got in the red zone, score points. And that was another area where Joey Porter Jr. gave up two touchdowns today, both in single coverage. He has been good in those situations. Another thing we talked about coming into this this game was uh, an emphasis on not holding in those situations. Joey Porter Jr., very grabby. He had been working this week on not using his hands when playing uh his his player. And the problem was he didn't use his hands on this touchdown because the situation was they were running either an inverted cover two or it was uh, cover six with man on the boundary side on his side of the field. So what that means is Jaquan Brisker is dropping down into the flat and he's covering the tight end that goes out. It turns into, whether it's man or zone, it doesn't matter, it turns into one-on-one in that situation where Joey Porter Jr. is taking the receiver going up the field. He gives up inside leverage because he doesn't use his hands at the line of scrimmage, and then he does not get a hand at the catch point to contest the catch leading to the touchdown. So that was a tough situation for Joey Porter Jr., um, and, and it was an issue for Penn State on the day where he gave up two touchdowns in the red zone because they had not done that all season long. That length and everything that James Franklin talked about this year did not come into focus in this particular situation. Uh, let's see, what else do we got here? Uh, we have another call, another question. Uh, this is, again, more of a statement from David with some bloodletting of his frustration. Uh, what was the call? What was that call on fourth down? We we addressed that call on fourth down. I'm not a fan of that particular call. But let's talk about and let's disagree on the fake field goal call. Let's talk about that. I'm sure because of the results, a lot of people are going to say you got to take the points there. First off, uh, Jordan Stout missed a field goal later from a hittable distance. So, Saying you're taking the points is saying that it's automatic, which is not true. And to James's point, knowing where oop, knowing where Jake Pinniger is, I, I he is just not playing this year. That is, that's where he is. Is he is he was beaten out for this job by um, by Jordan Stout. That and and they don't make changes at situations or places like that unless it's absolutely necessary. So in that situation, it, you are on the 2-yard line and you're in this defensive battle. It's 3 to nothing. You've driven the ball all the way down to the 2-yard line. The bad pass from Sean Clifford puts you in a situation where you want the touchdown because this is this is a critical moment in the game. If you make, and I think you saw that later in the game when Michigan felt the game pressure to throw the football, Penn State's defensive line had the advantage. Arnold Ebiketi had the advantage. You could have had that all game had you gotten a touchdown in this point. But they don't get the touchdown on that play. But you need the seven points. Because if you kick the field goal, what immediately happens is you go up by one score. It doesn't change the mathematics of the game. Even in the end, it doesn't change the mathematics of the game. It would be, let's just say everything stays the same. It's 21-20. They lose by a single point and you're probably more furious. I, it's it, you need touchdowns you need touchdowns there's just no way around it when you're on the two yard line my biggest problem with that situation was the fake after the fake because if you want two yards put your offense on the field I know that they're not the best in the world in short yarded situations but this is a day where Keevon Lee averaged 4.4 yards a carry this is a day where you had 109 yards on the ground, which it was more than that with all of the sacks. There was they got way more yards than that with all of the sacks. And negative 18 yards rushing from Jordan Stout. So you're up near 150 yards maybe rushing in this game. This is the best performance they've had on the ground all, all, all year. And um you put the hand you ball in the hands of the kicker, who decided he wanted to fake the guy out and cut inside. And John, or, uh, James Franklin on the sideline is, is furious because just run! Like, okay, so that's a defensive back. Jordan Stout is not a bad athlete. There is a chance that if he just runs to the sideline where Tyler Warren is blocking for him, it's open to at least get the first down. But instead, he tries to fake out the guy, cut back inside, towards nine other players running at him. And then fumble like it as much as the execution of the play wasn't good the decide the decide the decision to put the ball in his hands wasn't the best one in that particular situation um so that that's what it is to me because Jordan Stout missed a field goal so er, later in the game and I understand if you want to say everything goes perfectly in this game they get those two field goals it's uh 23-21 and Penn State wins sure maybe that's an outcome Maybe Jordan Stout never hits that field goal. If you score points, and Penn State tied the game up and erased a lot of this stuff with that fourth down call, going for it, getting the touchdown, getting the two-point conversion, and then they choked in the last minute in the red zone with their offense because... Their quarterback is less decisive, less accurate, and doesn't make as many good plays from the pocket. And also the Michigan defense has an overwhelming strength in the situation with their pass rush. So that's, that's a big part of that is that um, the the overwhelming strength for Michigan was good enough to overcome and slow down the Penn State offense. Penn State's defense is good. They slowed down, believe it or not, uh, the Michigan rushing attack, to only have 144 yards in this game. What they didn't slow down was Cade McNamara for good stretches of the game. And again, he was not good in the third and early f- part of the fourth quarter. So from from a, an, an analysis standpoint, it is tough to say X or Y happened because a lot of things happened. Uh, Sean Clifford was good to start the game, and he was bad in the middle, and he was good to end the game until the very end, which was sort of predictable. Cade McNamara made some clutch throws in, in in clutch situations. And by the way, if you're asking about uh, early in the year when Tariq Castro-Fields is falling for a couple double moves and he's not playing well in those situations, uh, where is Kalen King? Kalen King was in on, on a critical play where it was second and 10, and they run crossing routes, which is not a complicated thing against man coverage. It will get you a couple of yards But if you're a defensive back and you're running in man coverage, where the linebackers are, you should be expecting to run into somebody unless you're a true freshman. And that's what happened. He ran into Daquan Hardy. The pick play worked perfectly. Totally legal play. And uh, the tight end, by formation, was lined up on on Kalen King, is off to the races, and it's the critical touchdown that Michigan needed to blow the game open. Uh, This is the BWI Live postgame show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. If you would like to get a question in the chat and you want to donate to the channel, it'd be super awesome. We just got another one from David. Let's see uh, what David has to say. Um, He says, Penn State ran the ball better after benching Miranda and moving Scruggs in and bringing in Efner. That was one thing I did want to talk about in this game in particular, is they've done this at times throughout the season. They did this at the end of uh, the Illinois game, and I've enjoyed watching that combination a little bit better. This is actually a pretty good day on the ground, I thought, from Juice Scruggs' his ability to create uh, movement. Even before Mike Miranda went on onto the bench, what happened was Miranda could not handle number 58 in pass protection. And he was... If you're giving up pressure to Ajabo and at Hutchinson on the outside, you can't be giving up pass-rushing pressure to nose tackles. You just... There, otherwise, your your offense, is it's over. It, you shut everything down. So they moved Scruggs to center, and they brought in Efner, and then they kept Wilson over at left guard. And that was one of the more successful lineups that they've tried so far this season. Uh, I thought Juice Scruggs was less effective at center. He has a couple more tougher matchups, I think, in that situation in terms of not being able to move, run his feet into the block, and he was being effective at that. Also, if you're the center, you're not always the guy climbing to the second level. Typically, that's the guards, unless you have a different alignment from, from the defense where the center reaches to the second level. He did all of those things pretty well, I thought. And again, they got good movement. It wasn't amazing. But then there were some plays where, again, James Franklin talked about you're one-on-one with the safety. You got to make that guy miss. Another critical situation, John Lovett, uh, when they were going to those four-by-zero sets where you've got a tight end and then—no, um, I'm sorry, four receivers off to the field side, the long side of the field. And it's the typical screen situation. Jahan Dotson, three tight ends. He's got his entourage out there in the in the flat, right? Uh, and then what you're trying to do is either the numbers are good there— or what you have is a one-on-one on the opposite side of the field with a running back and a safety. Now, the safety is over top for contain. And really, it's the linebacker and the safety, but the linebacker has to also, also pay attention to the front side of the play in case you run to the to the long side of the field. And in that situation, John Lovett got a one-on-one. Uh, Caden Walsh did a great job crashing Aiden Hutchinson down and, and containing him. The linebacker sucked up into the line of scrimmage. And then John Lovett had a one-on-one with a safety. He couldn't make that guy miss. He's just not fast enough or strong enough to make that happen. It's a great design. They ended up getting 11 yards out of the play. But again, this game was decided on a 60-yard touchdown. However long that was, it was a 47-yard touchdown is what the game was decided on. So uh, just not enough from the Penn State offense today. And, and that's not a surprise. That was going to be the question coming into this game was could you get enough from the Penn State offense knowing that Michigan is going to be efficient but not necessarily explosive. And that's what they were today. They were efficient. They methodically drove the ball down the field. Their scoring plays before the touchdown were a 15-play 90-yard drive that took up 7 minutes and 30 seconds a 9-play 75-yard drive that took up uh, 3 minutes and 10 seconds, and then the 6-play 75-yard drive that took up 2 minutes and 26 seconds. So more explosive today than I was expecting. And 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 that's a part of the story is Cade McNamara made some good plays in some critical situations and uh, got a 20-yard touchdown strike just outside the red zone, and, of course, the big play to end the game. Penn State did not have that quick strike capability. 14 plays, 51. 14 plays, 48. Uh, and one of those ended up with no points, as you know, nine plays for 33 yards, uh, looking here, six plays for 35, 15 for 53, uh, and then of course they went four for three. So they don't, they didn't have any explosive plays in this game to generate the points necessary to beat Michigan who got enough explosive plays. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, In the chat, trying to find something that's uh, somebody wants to talk about. If you have a question, you got an idea what you want to talk about, let me know. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting in terms of defensive versus offensive play calls. There was a there was a moment in the third quarter where you you saw the the defensive chess match between Josh Gattis, a guy that knows Brent Pry and his tendencies. And then, of course, Pry, who is a very aggressive guy in third down. Earlier in the game, this is another thing that I saw coming into the game as far as would Penn State be able to blitz and get effective pressure on Cade McNamara? Now, that's twofold in the sense of the offensive line is better than Maryland's. So, I still think they're an okay unit. Uh, They're not a dominant unit that I thought was overly uh, exceptional today. I don't think Penn State really got pushed around up front. There were some great plays, and they got some, uh, but there's a lot of yards after contact. And as pass protectors, they're okay, but you saw what their left tackle did one-on-one against Arnold Abikidi. So not a perfect unit by any means, and and weak in certain areas. Uh, But you have a veteran quarterback in Cade McNamara that's smart and effective and efficient. He had only given up three sacks on his own under pressure so far this season. So he gets rid of the football and he makes timely throws. You can't really blitz him because he finds where the blitz is coming from and puts a ball behind it. And that happened early in the game, where uh Jesse Luqueta drops into coverage and they get a 15 yard play on just a quick in against a, a five man pressure, where it's coming from the slot, where that's where Brent Pry usually brings his pressure is from the slot. So later in the game, uh Brent Pry. Is sending the blitz. You know, he's 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 got three down linemen. Both linebackers are up near the line of scrimmage. They're threatening to blitz, and then they drop eight, and they drop everyone into that short zone. And that was the area where Josh Gaddis was expecting another blitz. He wanted to replace with a drag route behind that, and uh, they didn't. That didn't happen. Penn State was able to uh, stop that, and they were able to get the ball back in a critical situation. The, the Penn State defense was good today. I understand that there were some some. Big moments where things, excuse me, where things didn't work out for them in terms of they gave up some big plays, but Michigan made enough plays to win this game. I still don't think that this is a uh, an overwhelmingly talented Michigan team. I think they play good team football, uh, but if they face a team that is truly explosive, 44 carries and wanting Bo Schembechler football, if you were listening to the broadcast and Sorry, I have to roll my eyes when I hear that low pad level is going to win. And then Daniel Orlovsky correctly pointed out on the broadcast, you do have to throw the football to win football games. And that's what happened. That's what happened in this game was Cade McNamara was the better quarterback of the two on the day. Uh, if you want to and you're enjoying the show, I appreciate everyone being here. Uh, if you want to give the, the uh, video a like, let's everyone else know that we're having a good time here on YouTube. And they should come in and ask some questions. Um, again, here by myself today. So I'm trying to read and talk to you at the same time. That always goes well. So just give me a, uh, a second, find some good questions you got in here. That's where the super chats help, by the way, is they show up in big, bright letters. So if you have a question, I can see it and then I can get to it. Um, and I don't have to go through individually. Uh, Kyle says Lackawanna been sending some good players to Penn state. I thought Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker played well today. Uh, The tackling was an issue. That is one area where I knew Hassan Haskins was strong, and I knew he was a physical runner. I knew he's a guy that is going to uh, cause a problem if he got to the second level. But I figured in this game particular with Jesse Lucchetta coming back and with Jaquan Brisker being a phenomenal tackler in the box, I was not expecting Hassan Haskins to be able to break as many tackles as he did. And and that was a that was another big part of this game today is in critical situations, when it was a nine yard run, he got 17. When it was a six yard run, he got nine. He, you know, not to pull out cliches here, but he was very good on the day. A lot of his yards, there was one stat in the game in the broadcast at one point that he had 99 yards and 52 were after contact. That is that is a lot of work for him to be doing on his own. Um, This is always an interesting situation when it comes to decision-making from the coaching position. I know that's what a lot of people want to be angry about and want to talk about today. First off, I'm the X's and O's guy. So if you are coming here to talk about the decision-makings that are largely opinion-based in that situation... I, I'm not going to give you what you're looking for. So I apologize in that sense of you're not going to hear Franklin's an idiot, this or that, because there's always more that goes into it than just the result on the field. Um, and again, when we talk about the situations they got, on, they got into, they got into the red zone plenty of times today, and they didn't get enough points. Whether there was sacks to take them out of field goal position, where they had to kick a longer field goal that didn't go in because the kicker kicked the ground or because they go for it on fourth down from the two yard line with their kicker. Now we've addressed some of those, by the way, if you have uh, been, been listening to the show, you know, we covered that, but if you're, if you're just joining us now, we did talk about that earlier in the show of the decision to go for it on fourth down and how I, I just thought that that using your field goal unit to do it is is the is the incorrect thing not to throw not to not to go for it in that situation Travis has a question here why is our offense not improved since the beginning of the season usually teams play better as the season goes along and better understand the playbook and scheme so Travis in this game I thought they played well actually and I know that seems crazy Um, but again the running game was good the running game surprised me today. Keevon Lee has taken a step forward. So I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture on this. I'm giving you uh, some some perspective of there it, because it feels bad, there were individual plays in there that were not losses for Penn State. 20 carries for 88 yards. He averaged 4.4 yards a carry. John Lovett had 4.3 yards a carry. Those are good numbers. That's that's what you need from this offense. There was push in the run game. They were able to find a combination with Juice Scruggs at center that worked. But they had too many negative plays. And those were forced by Michigan. Michigan's pass rush was good. It got to the quarterback. Let me pull up this so I have the exact number at the end of the game. Seven sacks. Zero came in the second half. So Penn State adjusted. They threw the ball a little bit more quickly. And the tackles just played better in that situation. Um, But this team is what it is. So Sean Clifford misses throws. Sean Clifford missed throws to the running backs. The running backs dropped the ball. Um, So those are just mistakes. Those are are errors, not necessarily some sort of overall cataclysm from from a scheme standpoint or from a coaching standpoint. The players were put in positions to make plays, and Michigan made more of them today, 21-17. So yes, the offense is not talented in the sense that it was before. But Jahan Dotson was good today. I thought they had some good schemes and some good play calls that got him in uh, some singled-up situations. Although, him trying to reverse field is just not that dude. He's every other type of dude, but he's not the run across the field laterally and make six guys miss. He's not twitchy. That's that's his game is he's fluid and he's fast and he goes downfield and he gets open and he makes great acrobatic catches. He's not the dude that's reversing field. Um... So I don't think it was a it was a lack of understanding from a schematic standpoint. There were a couple of plays there were miscommunications from some some receivers and Dan Orlovsky I thought did a good job pointing that out from uh maybe Parker Washington didn't run the right route but Keandre Lambert Smith has been dropping balls all season long. That's not anything new. Uh and and I think at this point you live with that with that football player and then he didn't get targeted the rest of the game so I think Penn State's done living with with that at that position. Malik Mega has been getting more and more catches as the season has gone on. Uh so it's just that in, in this particular situation, they made good adjustments, but they weren't able to they weren't able to make the plays they needed to. Here's another great situation that I'll that I'll bring up. It was uh in the fourth quarter after the fumble recovery where Pence got the ball in the red zone. I believe this is the right situation. I know the play in particular was there was an RPO handoff and it looked like it was going to be a quarterback draw. And it's supposed to suck the linebacker in and then Clifford pops the ball over top of the linebacker to John Lovett who's racing down the middle of the field against two high safeties. So there's no one in the middle of the field. It's him on the linebacker. So it's a good design, but there's one problem is it it, it you have to have that linebacker Suck up into the line of scrimmage. He has to come downhill, and Sean Clifford off a bad platform because of the way the play works. He's running forward and throwing. It's not a typical platform. He throws the ball too high because the linebacker didn't bite. So Michigan made some good plays on some good play designs. Uh, and then here's another here's another situation early in the game. Rashid Walker on a couple of plays didn't block. on on the uh, first play where Aiden Hutchinson gets into the backfield and it was the uh, intentional grounding. Penn State is cutting, so they are cut blocking. They're going at the legs of the defensive line to get everyone on the ground because that opens up the passing lanes for Sean Clifford to see the receiver. So they're running two slants to the play side where where he's looking. Rasheed Walker is one-on-one trying to cut block Aiden Hutchinson. At least that's what it looked like. But he just didn't. He kind of threw his shoulder. When you cut block, you commit to cut blocking. You need to end up on the ground. And Rasheed Walker, I I don't know. uh, This is where I don't know if he's supposed to just chip that guy and then get out and start running to try and get a screen, which those are slants. They're two, three yards down the field. That's not the right play. So to me, the thing he's supposed to do is cut block on the front side of the play where Aiden Hutchinson is 6'5", 6'6", with a super long wingspan. And he just didn't. And I you know that's not uh, to Travis uh, you know I'm not I'm not trying to give an out to coaches that I thought made some poor play calls in situations where you're throwing uh go routes to Cam Sullivan Brown in the red zone I mean it's a low percentage play to begin with and then it's the the player you're throwing it to that's not a great play call that's not a great decision that was the things that were happening last year where you were getting stuff like that um and then there was another play on a screen with uh, Rashid Walker, where it was a tight end screen, and they've been going to the same thing over and over again all season, where they throw out into the three bunch set, right? Well, there was a short screen right off the line of scrimmage to Theo Johnson. It's one on one. It's it's single coverage. It's everything you wanted. Rashid Walker's supposed to get to the second level and block the linebacker, and he just didn't. I mean, he got into position. He he had good technique and footwork to get there. But the primary thing he was supposed to do is block the linebacker who just stepped around him and got to the ball. Now, uh, you know, I I, I, I don't typically, I don't always want to single out individual players because they're just an accumulation of mistakes, right? So those two plays didn't decide the game. But those two plays, plus the four drops by the running backs, three or four, uh, I don't want to give a firm number to it because it's more than two, which is too many for them to win this game. Uh, it all adds up to 17 points. So in a lot of ways, Penn State just, they needed to play a really good game, a really clean, efficient game, and they didn't. They allowed seven sacks in the first half. Sean Clifford held on to the ball too long. He didn't take his checkdowns, and then later in the game, he did take his checkdowns against third and 17. So, you know, I I, I don't know. Um, Showtime asks, what's wrong with the defense? So, you know, I think you're expecting too much. And, and, and I understand why you're expecting too much. Because what else are you supposed to expect with an offense that was not consistently, that was moving the ball but couldn't get the ball into the end zone? They had to score. They had to score on the, track, on the sack fumble. That's what they had to do. Otherwise, they allowed 21 points. They only allowed 14 um, outside of one explosive play where a freshman gives up a touchdown. So again, I thought this was a, a overall a good game by the defense. They got two sacks. Uh, they actually ended up with two tackles for loss. Arnold Abikidi was great on the day, by the way. Um, but that was to me the only thing that was really missing. And that is one thing I will give the Michigan offensive line, is they don't make a lot of plays, but they don't make a lot of mistakes. And really, that's what the offense for Michigan is. They don't make a ton of plays outside of the running backs, but they don't make any mistakes. So they stay on schedule, and and that was a, a big thing, is when Penn State got them off schedule, they punted. They had more three and outs in this game than the offense uh, did for Penn State. So it's the, it's the clutch situations, right? It's the drives that end games where Brent prize defense gives up those plays. And, uh, they went, they went man coverage on, on the final drive and they had a true freshman corner on the field and he gave up a touchdown. Uh, so the decision to either have him out on the field might be a bad one. You can question whether you should not have your senior cornerback out there or the play call. But you know, I, I think Penn state has talented defensive backs. So, calling man coverage has worked for them so far in a lot of ways this this year. Um, so I, I have a hard time agreeing with you in general, although I do understand the feeling of it, it's the big situations where they give up the plays. It's just that they're not a dominant unit. So they're, they're a unit that can make you go three and out two times to start the game and then give up 15 plays to march down the field and give up a touchdown and erase all that good work because the offense got three points on uh like 37 plays so I, you know if if Penn State scores early on and they get that touchdown I think it's a very different game and it it swung there but there was a lot of opportunities to swing it back and Penn State's offense just wasn't able to so the big plays in big situations is a thing uh where they've given up those those plays in those situations and the weird thing is Showtime. It comes in a lot of a variety of ways. Typically, people have been crushing Brent Pry in these situations for playing too soft, for playing coverage, not giving up the big play, letting your defensive line go and get the quarterback. And then, whoops, he threw the ball in underneath coverage and they got 30 yards on two plays. And this time he goes man coverage. By the way, not in a situation where you were expecting a touchdown. Uh, Penn State's defense had uh, caused a tackle for loss. And then I think a throwaway at that point or something where they had, they had been playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage and then just one bad thing happens and it's in man coverage, not in zone coverage. So it, it's, it is curious that that does keep happening. Um, I, I, I still think, and I've seen after a loss, you're not surprised to have a lot of negativity coming from fans. that are disappointed in a loss, especially when it's the fourth one of the season, Hence, they can still beat Michigan State. They can still beat Rutgers. This is something I said earlier this week on uh, the BWI Daily Edition. Is they're going to be in every single game for the rest of the season. But so's the other team. There's just no team they're going to blow out, and there's no team that's going to blow them out at this point. And they're losing these close contested games quite a bit. Now, does that come down to coaching? I think that there is a fair point to be made that you're losing these close situations. This one by uh, five points, right? Four points. You win it with five. You tie it with four. Um, So there are are key decisions in every game, but there are also key plays in every game where it decides the outcome. And I, I just think in this particular situation, there were... The egregious decisions, on my opinion, were from the play-calling perspective and then from the decision-making perspective at the field goal to not leave your offense out there, which you did later in the game anyway, and look what they did for you. Uh, that was another play that I thought was really great. So there was another situation where Penn State had to have something and uh, they pull out something we had not seen all year, which was when you have that balanced formation of Devin Ford and I think Keevon Lee at this point. I don't remember if he's healthy and back in the game or not. And then uh, you have Breton Strange. Uh, and what that does is you have a balanced formation. Two tight ends on either side. Two running backs on either side. And what is you could classify as your fullback in the middle. And it makes it so you can run either direction. Makes your, your front even. And it presents threats so the defense has to be balanced. They can't overload one side predicting where you're going to run. The one thing we'd never seen from that before, though was play action. What was to was to throw from that position. And it was a great throw by Sean Clifford. Actually, Michigan they had it sniffed out. They had a guy on Tyler Warren, but he made a great catch with somebody contesting the catch point. Somebody got his hands on the ball, Tyler Warren still made the touchdown and then they came back with the great play to Jahan Dotson, not to throw a fade, but to throw to the pylon. So there's a better chance of him being able to get to the football. So I, I thought all of that was, uh, was good. But it's, it's the play calling in that fourth and two situation or when you need points before and you kick the field goal and we're throwing fades in that situation if you're a Penn State fan. That's where I'm more upset. Um, I think this is also a fair thing here where Clifford got banged up a lot in this game. So a lot of those accuracy problems that he had in the middle of the game came after he got sacked six times. So that is a part of that. Uh, This is the BWI Live post-game show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, as you can see there in the corner. Uh, If you want to follow me on Twitter, I do live reactions throughout the game. I also provide breakdowns pre- and post-game. And if you're enjoying this particular show, answering your questions and talking about the game, make sure you hit the like button and you, uh, you give us a follow on YouTube. Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. Um... So I, I don't know particularly which third and two you're you you're talking about in this one. This is, so Ulysses Salazar asks, why not run the ball on third and two? Um, that is, <laughs> earlier in the year they were trying to run the ball on third and two and it wasn't working. So it was working in this game. And again, I thought Kivon Lee turned the corner. The last two games he got 8 carries for 52 yards uh and had I think 5 yards a carry and in this game 20 for 88 he's being more decisive he's running downhill um but in in third and two situations they have typically not run the ball because they don't they're not good at it they're going to go with what they're good at and they're better better not good at passing the ball in those situations and 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 the two-point play um was there as well now I'm sorry, I'm coming through some here. There was a there was a question I saw earlier that I wanted to get to, um, but we'll we'll move on. I, I, if you if you have a, a question, you could throw it in the chat. Um, let me look at some of the other things I wanted to talk about here. I wanted to I want to stress again how good Arnold Ebikiti was. Uh, his ability to get Cade McNamara off schedule and to to get, bring pressure, even if he didn't get to the quarterback, was really good. He has been one of the best pass rushers Penn State has had, uh, at least from a productive standpoint, from a production standpoint, at any time under James Franklin. Uh, I think the clutch stuff you were hoping from, from a lot of the guys that came through here recently, I'd say even better than Yitor Grosmatos in terms of his ability to actually get to the quarterback. Yitor was an incredibly talented player, but Ebekidi has more explosiveness. He can bend the edge and get to the quarterback. Uh, the strip sack, by the way, was one of the best rushes I've ever seen. He dips around the tackle. He grabs the quarterback's arm and forces the fumble. All of that was all intentional. That was a great rush, but there were times as well where he was able to bull rush the the tackle back into the quarterback and cause Cade McNamara to to throw the ball away or speed up his delivery. And that was how Penn State needed to win that game, was to put pressure on McNamara in the pocket and not let him break contain. And they did that for most of the game. This is a 14-point... Uh, even even when they were down, it was fourteen to six. You know they were within a touchdown, one scoring drive, the entire time. Showtime asks, coaching staff doesn't really make any sense. So are you comfortable with the talent level from recruiting and the portal? So, you know, I, again, Showtime. I, I said this earlier in the show. If you're if you're coming to this show to ask for Fire Franklin comments, you're not going to get that. And it's not because people are uh, afraid to do that. There's there's a couple of things that I think are important in this particular conversation. The first is that Franklin is not a bad coach. If, if he was such a bad coach against the sixth team in the nation according to the College Football Playoff Committee, who, this is the because I said so one, where they're going to rank what they just think are the best teams, not based on head-to-head or any of that stuff. Penn State wouldn't be in any of these games. They wouldn't be in any of these games if Franklin was a bad coach. Is he an uh, an exceptionally uh, you know elite-level decision-maker on game day? No, no. I think that's a fair thing to point out, that he is not. But overall, from the schematic standpoint of how you want to build your team. He has the right formula. He has the right arc. He has the right ability in terms of what they should be doing, how they should be building and going after the players necessary to succeed. Now they are not getting those players consistently and they are not making up the decisions in between to, uh, to overcome a lack of talent. And to me, that's the thing that everybody wants. Everybody wants the magic formula for Penn State, the plucky underdog team in this situation, to beat Michigan. But overall, Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo are elite defensive ends. Like, they they are a good team. They're probably the overall more talented team when you consider the extreme shortcomings that Penn State has on the offensive line and the offense in general. So you want somebody that's going to just fix all of that. Well, the thing is most coaches don't. Most coaches don't fix the talent gap to the level you think they do. Even, you know, even at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a more talented team than you think because, just because they're Cincinnati, but the coaching staff is doing a great job of making the talent that they recruited and got to their team play at a high level. But Cincinnati, when they go up against a team, and this is the College Football Playoff Committee's point, when they go up against a team that is superior in talent overall, they're not going to be able to out-coach the gap. They're just not going to be able to do that. Now, in this particular game, the decision-making by Jim Harbaugh was taken out of his hands. He didn't have to make any decisions. Cade McNamara got touchdowns. Sean Clifford and Mike Yersich didn't get touchdowns. Josh Gaddis got touchdowns. So he didn't have to make any decisions. And if he had to, I promise you, he would have made the wrong decisions. He's also 2-9 and in those road games against top 25 teams or whatever the stat they threw up on TV was. So, you know, there is some validity to the idea of James Franklin being not a bad game day coach, but maybe a slightly below average one. He is an above average coach in just about every area from preparation to recruiting to, uh, you know, the organization of the team. And if you think these things don't matter, I'm just going to tell you they do. And when you see on the ground level day by day, the, the thought and meticulousness and how they plan things, that's all correct. Now, they need to find a way to get over the hump. And whether that's a change in the way they coach, whether that is getting that missing piece, which people have been talking about Drew Aller in the chat for the last six games, maybe it's any of those things. I don't know. But there is a a missing ingredient um, in this team. And I do believe, when it comes down to it, that if you think he's a good recruiter and you don't like Sean Clifford, those are just, those are those are incongruous thoughts. Because he recruited the talent that is on the team, which by the way has gotten them 6 wins this season, although that argument now that they're 6 and 4 is a little bit less of an argument. Um they 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 don't have the players to play the way they want because the quarterback they recruited didn't turn into the guy they thought he was going to. And that has been a long-term thing coming. That has been to me if you have that question of what is the problem? To me, that's the biggest problem is they've hung hung on to Sean Clifford. And I will agree with uh, somebody else who said in the chat, Sean Clifford can't come back next year. And I tend to agree because if you want more upside to a team, now you could make the argument with a better offense in general, Sean Clifford will play better. More support around him, better offensive line, better running game, all those things are coming in. But what Sean Clifford to me is pretty defined at this point So if you want a defined ceiling, maybe the best you can do with Sean Clifford is 10-2, which was in 2019,
1: when everything else is
0: great around them. Journey Brown, electric running game, uh, KJ Hamler, Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth, talented offense around him, and he just has to not get in the way. He's been better than that this year. He has been a driving force for success. But when they need their quarterback, if they're going to play this way, this particular way, where he's throwing the ball forty-three times, he threw the ball fifty-seven times and forty times again. Um, you, your your quarterback is going to determine your success there. That's there's a lot of that, and and the misevaluation or the situation they got into, where Sean Clifford is the only option. That is a valid. Now we're getting to valid arguments about why this team is in the situation it is so um, that wasn't the one i wanted i think this is a good this is a good question here um you did state that it was more of a player execution problem not a coaching problem would you also state that execution goes along with preparedness which is the coaching problem no 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 if the quarterback hits you with the football and you don't catch it, that is not a coaching problem. Do you think Keandre Lambert Smith dropped the ball? It was behind him. It was here on a crossing route where he might have gotten a first down. It's not like uh Taylor Stubblefield on the sideline when he went over to him was just like, ah, you know what, drops happen. He was furious. They work on this stuff, they work on catching. When we go for media availability on Wednesdays, for the most part, what we see are positional drills, drilling the fundamentals, getting these guys to, to play right so that in the situations where they're executing the designs and the schemes, their body naturally reacts the proper way. If you drop the football and you spent 40 minutes practicing it, that's not the coaching staff. You can't make, you can't, it's not a robot out there. It's a human being. So no, no. I this is this is again where where we just want to blame coaching as a catch-all. Sometimes the other team was better than you, and there was a couple of examples today of the other team was better than Penn State because their players executed at a higher level in the situations that are standard throughout every game. Now, if again, if we want to talk about the long-term thing of the players that are on the football field and the recruiting and all that stuff, Now we're in that situation where should James Franklin historically, going back a long time, have been more aggressive in the transfer portal? Not just with the quarterback. I'm talking about when the transfer portal first became a thing. And Penn State had like 18 players transfer out. And James Franklin didn't want to be a part of it because, by the way, Penn State fans love old school football. They love love history. They love tradition. James Franklin doesn't like the transfer portal. He wants to recruit. He wants to coach. He wants to develop. He wants the kids to graduate and all that stuff. He doesn't want to have to do free agency in the offseason. And he was slow to adopt it. And, And you see the fruits of that where Penn State's best defensive player today was a transfer from Temple. So I think going forward, they need to be more aggressive in talent acquisition in these situations because... What the transfer portal does is it doesn't take starters from you. That's what the draft does. It takes your depth. It takes the guys that are going to be your starters from you because they don't have the patience to wait to be the starter here. So you need to go plug holes every year. And James Franklin signed another big recruiting class, 26, 27 players, and the, it's one of the best classes they've had in a long time. That is, that's great. But four of those players, three or four of those, four of those players are offensive linemen that aren't going to see the field for at least two years. Uh, you know, those defensive linemen, some of them are going to see the field right away. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton is going to see the field right away. But if Zane Durant stays in this class, I don't know that he's going to see the field right away. Uh, you've got some linebackers that are young, uh, you've got some uh, cornerbacks that need time to develop. These guys aren't going to be stepping on the field, so immediately in these situations, you're losing your depth that's going to play, and you're replenishing it with young players that you don't feel confident stepping on the football field. Just like if you, if you're expecting, if you're expecting Drew Aller to step on the football field next year and play better than Sean Clifford did this year, you're hoping for the lottery. You're hoping for the lottery. So the transfer portal is the answer there. Or you bring back Sean Clifford and you get exactly what you got this year. So the, the, you know, those are the, the 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 conversations I think that have merit when it comes to coaching staffs and decisions and things like that. The stuff that happens on the football field, a lot of times is a flip of a coin. Whether they get it a fourth down or don't, they got four or four fourth downs on one drive and they didn't on another. And one of them was a was a trick play and a special teams play. Um, this is an interesting uh, thing to bring up because of the two teams, penalties. I thought it was hilarious. Michigan had four false starts that was not on film for them whatsoever coming into this game. Uh they they were not a team that was was undisciplined. They have more negative penalties in this game than I've seen in, in a while. So I, I I don't I don't agree with the the penalties part, but to your larger point, Tom, that's the answer. Sacks, tackles for loss, getting off schedule. This team could not withstand being off schedule. Whenever they got into a third and long situation, they actually did pretty good. Uh, let me let me pull up the third down stats because I don't have a firm memory of the third downs in this game because there were so many things happening. Uh Kimi lives. I don't want to. It's not a great show when you just watch somebody reading on a screen, so I'll try to do this quickly. Uh, average third down, third and long, they were one of five. Both teams were one of five. They were four of seven in third and short. So they were, they were good on third down. When they got into third and long, they weren't any good. Uh, Modest Flamingo says Spencer Rattler, who was just put in the game because Oklahoma's quarterback, their freshman, was not playing well against Baylor, and they lost. And Spencer Rattler got back into the game and didn't win them the game. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe Spencer Rattler. Maybe not. Uh, I, I tend to... Th- I haven't seen a lot of Spencer Rattler. I haven't really watched his game quite a bit. But I I don't get a good vibe from Spencer Rattler and everything that's happened around him. Because, uh, really, if you're going to be a third-year starter, I think he is at this point, Heisman candidate to begin the season, lots of yards... And in that particular Oklahoma offense, that is like, it's like easy mode for quarterbacks. Now, part of it is the running game has to work and the running game is not working for them right now. Uh, but, but he was not able to operate it this year. Now, Caleb Williams comes in and they, it it works better until this game. So something's off totally at Oklahoma. I have to find out exactly what that was. Uh... This is, this is a game that I thought was for low-scoring games an entertaining game at the very least. Now, not going to make a lot of people feel happy, but as far as the watchability factor, I was expecting Michigan to be much more boring. I do think Josh Gaddis is a good influence on that offense where they actually threw the ball, 66 completion percentage, 66% completion percentage, three touchdowns, 217 yards, did enough through the air to win the game. Uh, any more questions you have in the chat, you can throw them in. Um, and you're welcome to leave if you're not enjoying the chat as well. There's also that option. So if you want to ask a question, you can throw it in here. I'm trying to talk and uh, read at the same time. Just a couple more minutes, though, because we've gone about an hour. I think we covered most of the things that happened in this game. So a, a quick recap, if you're just joining us here at the end, to me, the biggest moments were early in the game, you have the chance to go up by 10 points. And instead of leaving your team out there, On the two-yard line with the offense, you elect the fake field goal. The fake field goal turns into a uh, not only field position, here's the other part of that, if he just runs forward and is tackled, even if he loses a yard, they get the ball at the three instead of the 30. He tries to run inside instead of just running to the pylon. The whole thing is a mess. That doesn't work. Then you give the ball back to Michigan, but your defense is playing really well, so they go three and out. You get the ball back, you go down, and I think at that point, you miss another field goal. But you had the opportunity early in the game to get 10 points and make Michigan chase you for the rest of the day. And when they didn't do that, that set up the rest of the game for to give Michigan time to get their slow grinding machine into gear. 15 plays, 90 yards, touchdown. They take the advantage. Penn State responds throughout the first half. Then in the second half, in some clutch situations, things go back and forth. But another key situation, Penn State goes for it on fourth down. They're more aggressive. Jahan Dotson just is a boss on that drive. You get the touchdown, two-point conversion, great. Then you don't get a touchdown. Touchdowns win football games, and Michigan got three of them. And the last one was the game sealer. Penn State was not consistent enough pass protecting. They were not consistent enough catching the ball to win this game. And that's really what it was, uh, in my opinion, that the offense made too many mistakes in order to be successful in a game where they just had to get to 24 points. That's the other thing is like, I understand the frustration. I understand the frustration because you just had to get to 24, which you've you've done that this year if you're Penn State. It just wasn't in the cards today. I didn't think the execution was sharp. And there were some play calls and some decisions that I thought did not favor Penn State Well, And when you add all of that up, it equals 17 points. It was another good day for the Penn State defense. I thought they were very good on the day. And they, uh, of all of the sides in this game, uh, were one of the better ones. Michigan's defense came away with enough big plays. The offense came enough away with enough big plays, and they win 21-17. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Don't forget, here on YouTube, coming up on Monday, we'll have the BWI Daily Edition and a Monday recap show once we've all digested what happened here and we give you the full breakdown. I'll also have my film review, everything. I'll go back, check what I said, and I'll write about it on Monday at Blue White Illustrated. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Sign up for just $1 with a new Home at On3. We will talk to you then.